Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with the show for every team in LA and much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm Nara Wang, and in episode 43 of the Everything USC podcast, my guest is the editor of Trojans Wire, the website that covers USC for USA Today Sports, Matt Zemek. Matt, thanks for joining me today on the Everything USC podcast. It's great to be on. Thanks for having me. And of course, if you enjoy listening to this show, you can subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, or TuneIn, or go right to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcasts. For me, you can find and follow me on Twitter, at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Matt, how can the people reach out to you or Trojans Wire? Yeah, so Trojans Wire is our handle there, and Matt Zemek, uh, Z-E-M-E-K, is my other Twitter handle. You can get me there. DMs are open, and so you can just find me on Twitter, and I'm usually there. I'm usually following the action on College Football Saturdays, so that's an easy place to get me. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. We're back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BLEAV50 to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. The Trojans were coming off of a bye week going into the big rivalry game against the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame in South Bend, so SC fans were hoping that the extra week of preparation would give them a chance to watch a team that had corrected some of the issues that plagued the squad over the first half of the season. It wouldn't take long, though, for everyone to realize that, nope, this Trojan team is just what it is, a group that has some fundamental flaws that aren't going to be fixed this year. In USC's very first play from scrimmage, after Notre Dame had missed a 36-yard field goal attempt to end its game-opening drive, the offensive line allowed a sack on Keaton Slovis with only three Irish defensive linemen rushing, and the Trojans would go three and out on the drive, setting the tone for the rest of the night. Every chance that SC had to build positive momentum would instead be snuffed out by self-inflicted wounds. At the end of the first quarter, The Trojans had the ball at the Notre Dame 12-yard line. The first play of the second quarter was Slovis having the ball batted in the air as he threw and being intercepted by Bo Bauer, who ran it back for 79 yards, coming up just four yards short of a pick six thanks to some hustle by Slovis to make the tackle. At the end of the second quarter, USC is driving around midfield when they decide to run Keontae Ingram on second and third downs to leave 
fourth and two with the clock ticking down to 39 seconds before the Irish call timeout with the Trojans lining up to go for it. Coming out of that timeout, USC is forced to call its final timeout of the half because the play clock is winding down and they aren't ready to run the play because Slovis is looking over to the sideline as the play clock goes from 12 to 5 seconds before he finally gets the play call and he frantically tries to reset the formation and snap it in time before the sideline is forced to take the timeout. So now with no timeouts left, SC decides to hand off to Ingram twice, getting to the Notre Dame 31 yard line with 20 seconds left. And instead of clocking the ball to set up third and four, Slovis takes a snap with 11 seconds remaining and under pressure runs the ball to get a first down, but with only three seconds to go, which isn't enough time to get off another play and the Trojans squander a chance to at least try a field goal to cut into the Irish's 17-3 lead. USC gets the ball to start the second half and is able to get to the Irish 25-yard line where on third and 10, there is a targeting penalty called at the goal line on a hit on Malcolm Epps by safety DJ Brown, who is in the game because of the injury suffered by star Kyle Hamilton in the first quarter. Upon replay review, however, the targeting is overturned and Parker Lewis comes in to try a 42-yard field goal, which he promptly hooks to the left of the upright. After trading punts, Notre Dame goes on an 80-yard TD drive to go up 24-3, benefiting from three Trojan penalties along the way. Finally, this seems to wake USC up, and the next possession ends with an Ingram four-yard touchdown run eight seconds into the fourth quarter. Chris Steele would pick off Jack Cohn at the Trojan 14-yard line with 11.25 to go, and SC quickly went 86 yards in just 2 minutes and 34 seconds to get a Darwin Barlow three-yard TD run And just as the Trojan faithful was starting to think that maybe, just maybe, the tide was turning in their favor, Lewis promptly shanks the PAT to leave the Irish up by 8 instead of 7. Notre Dame would go on a 75-yard touchdown drive, aided by two 15-yard penalties on USC, a pass interference on Steele, and an absolutely idiotic unsportsmanlike conduct by Xavier Alford putting his forearm into the back of Kyron Williams' helmet after a play was over. That essentially ended the Trojans' chances for a miracle, but just to make sure, SC committed two more penalties on its final offensive possession, which fittingly ended with Slovis going backwards on a 4th and 22 and losing 17 yards, and the ball on a strip sack by Isaiah Foskey. Matt, first of all, I apologize for making you and our audience relive the numerous USC miscues, but the point I'm trying to make is that the Trojans had plenty of opportunities to put pressure on the Fighting Irish and change the way that the game unfolded, yet they continually hurt themselves over and over like we've seen them do over and over the past few years. If you're an optimist, you can say they fought hard to be in a position to be down just one score in the fourth quarter. But at some point, isn't the old saying that you are what your record says you are have to apply and that at three and four, it means that USC just isn't that good? Absolutely. You know, USC had two weeks to, as you noted earlier in your introduction, uh, correct these flaws and obviously could not do it. And so, you know, there was that one glimmer of uh, positive, you know, recognition that, you know, this team finally fought a little bit, finally showed a little bit of backbone instead of just collapsing and fading away the way it did uh, against Stanford and Oregon State and Utah. So at least there was some fight. At least there was some passion, but, you know, that's just a little breadcrumb. And, it, you know, it took them 
to fall behind 24-3 before they showed that fight. I mean, this was still not a particularly competitive game. It was another game in which USC, for most of the way, played soft. And of course, all 60 minutes were still characterized by the total lack of discipline, which we've seen all year. So there's no question that this is the identity of USC, largely soft, finally showed a little bit of spark in the fourth quarter, but largely soft and completely undisciplined. And, you know, that's just the Clay Helton legacy remaining with this team. And people might say, you know, well, Dante Williams has done a terrible job. Well, you could say that, but it's really, he inherited this culture. He inherited this mess. This is not his creation. We have to keep reminding ourselves of that. We also have to remind ourselves that Todd Orlando was not, you know, the answer for Texas under Tom Herman. You know, he really did not figure out the Texas defense against the Oklahomas of the world. And, you know, we thought after the San Jose State game, okay, maybe this is going to be different. Maybe this is a defense which can bail out the offense a few times, but then the Stanford game immediately obliterated that notion. And we can see, obviously, that Graham Harrell just doesn't have answers in terms of not just play design, but also in terms of finding the right run-pass mix, finding the right way to work around the offensive line's limitations. You know, and Clay McGuire, I'm not going to blame him too much because he was brought in as a one-year fix. Like, he had only one year to get this thing right. And really, if we're being honest, this is probably a multi-year project for any new offensive line coach coming in. So in terms of, you know, what there is on the staff, it's more about just what Clay Helton left behind And it's also the product of Mike Bone, you know, not firing uh, Helton after the 2019 season and allowing this to persist. Of course, that also goes to Carol Folt, not fully understanding just how important USC football is. So it's not really on Dante Williams. It's really on what he inherited from Clay Helton. And we're just seeing the wreckage of this, you know, play out over the full 2021 season. Yeah, how can anyone expect this team to succeed when they can't seem to correct these basic issues that hurt them week after week? No question. And, you know, this is this goes back to coaching and it goes back to the culture that the leader sets in the offseason, that the leader sets in the spring, that the leader sets in the summer. And so there were all these months, you know, and, and let's keep this in mind, you know, USC did not have a true offseason. No team had a true offseason last year in the middle of the pandemic. So you look at how sloppy and uneven last year's team was in, of course, you know, half a season, limited time. But nevertheless, you could look at that and say, hey, you know, the pandemic, there was no real chance for anyone to really install a full system, you know, especially if Todd Orlando coming in first year as the defensive coordinator. But this year, no, you had a full off season. You had regular practices, regular rhythms, regular operations on a lot of levels. And that goes straight to the top. It goes straight to the head coach who's running the show. And USC did not have a competent guy running the show. So how are the assistants suddenly going to change the culture? And how are they going to do it when all the players know that, you know, the air raid is not going to exist next year? You know, they knew that in mid-September as soon as Clay Helton got fired. Okay, well, this is going to be different next year. So it's just a, it's a set of circumstances that we very rarely see not just at USC, but in college football, you know, a firing after week two. I think we're still kind of adjusting to that reality in certain ways, because you usually don't have a coaching search that goes on for nearly three months. That's what we're going to have here. It's so rare in this business, but I just make the point because when you fire a coach after week two, well, players are in this kind of in-between situation. And we could say that 
you know, they should be motivated every time they put on a USC uniform. And there's certainly some truth and legitimacy to that. You know, if you're wearing the Cardinal and gold, you put on that helmet, you walk into the Coliseum, like it should be a point of pride every time. And in an ideal world, yes, but we're in a world of the pandemic. We're in a world of the transfer portal. We're in a world where, you know, the athletic director pulled the plug on the season two weeks in. So if the AD pulls the plug, and not that he shouldn't have, like people knew that it was time for Clay Helton to go and that it couldn't linger any longer. But nevertheless, we can say that it was mismanaged in a larger sense beyond 2021 specifically. So if the AD pulls the plug two weeks in, you know, should we get on these players for not always bringing it every week and not being entirely focused to a point, but not with full force, certainly. So it's part of a much bigger picture of dysfunction that the new head coach is going to have to clean up. The one guy who is bringing it every week is wide receiver Drake London. 15 more catches for 171 yards. I mean, are we mailing him the Bolitnikoff Award right now? Should be. It's pretty obvious, right? Like, he is the best weapon that USC has. Maybe, although I'd say Keontae Ingram came up big in this past game, but Drake London's the one that everyone's focused on, yet he's still getting his somehow. Yes, and the, and the, just the simple point to make here is that the numbers themselves, the performances themselves, in a vacuum, without any context, they're already awesome, all right? That's point number one. But then point two, when you add the context, it's a million times even more impressive than the raw numbers suggest and what you strictly see on film. He's doing this. Drake London is doing this without any help from virtually anyone else on the roster. You could make a slight exception for Keontae Ingram, as you mentioned, but you know he doesn't have an elite quarterback, doesn't have an elite offensive line, doesn't have an elite number two receiver, doesn't have elite coaching, and he's still doing all of this. It is breathtaking. And I would be, I would be really surprised, not only if he doesn't win the Boletnikoff, but I would also be really surprised at this point if he's not a top 10 NFL draft pick. I think he's certainly played his way into the top 10. I mean, if someone's passing on him and needs a receiver at like number six, seven, eight, like look at the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, taking Jamar Chase, that turned out to be the right call. Many people thought they should have taken Panay Sewell and fortified their O-line, but no, you can see what a difference a game-changing receiver makes at the NFL level. Drake London has certainly played his way into that kind of identity, that kind of conversation. He should definitely be a top 10 pick next April. And final thing coming out of the Notre Dame game, Jackson Dart, the true freshman quarterback who got hurt after starring in that Washington State victory, was dressed for the game, but not at 100% yet, so he didn't play. Obviously, he had to have surgery on the knee that he hurt. So when he is deemed to be 100%, whenever that may be, should he take over the starting QB spot from Keaton Slovis? Absolutely. I think that here's the nuance. You have the uh, four game, quote unquote, red shirt rule. Basically, you get four bites at the apple, four games you can play without burning your red shirt. So USC should not burn the red shirt. So in other words, Dart should not play in more than three games of the five that are left, but he should get three. And it was really odd to hear Dante Williams say, and this is not a criticism of Dante, it's just an odd phrasing on its own terms. He was cleared, quote unquote, to an extent. Well, what the heck does that mean? Cleared to an extent. You're either cleared or you're not cleared. 
I mean, if he was cleared to an extent, I mean, that ought to tell me that, you know, he should be ready to play for Arizona. If you're cleared to an extent for one week, you should be fully cleared the next week. So, you know, assuming that he is reasonably healthy, he should play against Arizona. I mean, hey, what better way to kind of ease your way back, right, than to play the worst team in your conference, a game that's going to give you a minimal level of challenge, you know, nothing overly imposing. And then you get to watch yourself on film for the next week against Arizona State, which would be the challenge. So I think if it's at all possible, Dart should get the Arizona game as, you know, kind of the way to ease himself back into the lineup. But then, you know, you don't want to play him four of the five remaining games because you don't want to burn that red shirt. So I would say Arizona and Arizona State, think then you give Keaton Slovis the Cal and UCLA games. And the fact that Jackson Dart is a recruit from the state of Utah, you give him that BYU game at the end of the season, also a chance you know, to give the new incoming head coach another look at game film. So I would say Arizona, Arizona State, and BYU, that should be the roadmap for Jackson Dart, presuming that he's healthy, which, you know, if he's cleared to an extent, that tells me, well, hey, he should be, you know, sufficiently healthy, ready to go. That would be my roadmap for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think cleared to an extent means we needed to just say something because we dressed him for the game even though he couldn't play. I think that's what that means, essentially, there. So we'll see what happens with Jackson Dart the rest of the season. Again, hopefully he's healthy, and if he is healthy, then I agree with you. I would expect to see him get some game action. This is the Everything USC podcast. I'm your host, Nara Wang. My guest today is Matt Zemek, the editor of Trojans Wire website on the USA Today sports family of websites. And of course, if you enjoy listening to the show, please subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you go to get your favorite podcasts. Or you can go right to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcast. For me, I am on Twitter. You can catch up with me there, at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A, W-E-N-G Sports. Matt, let the people know how they can get a hold of you or Trojans Wire. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Matt Zemek, Z-E-M as in Michael, E-K. Just follow me on Twitter. I'm always there. DMs are open. If you have any inquiries or questions, comments, mail that's supportive or negative, I'm uh, good at uh, handling feedback and make it a priority to respond. Hey, everybody. This is Spencer Tillman, Fox Sports College Football Analyst and former Oklahoma NFL running back. And you're listening to Everything USC Podcast with Nara Wayne on the Believe Podcast Network. Taking a look forward now to the game for this weekend against the Arizona Wildcats. It will be on Saturday late afternoon, 4 p.m. Pacific start time at the Coliseum. We'll be broadcast on ESPNU and the USC Radio Network, the flagship station KABC 790 AM in Los Angeles. The Wildcats, as you mentioned, are the bottom of the barrel in the Pac-12 at 0-7 overall, 0-4 in conference play. They are, however, coming off of their best performance of the season in a 21-16 loss versus Washington, where the Wildcats actually led 13-zip at halftime. The head coach in his first year with the program, Jed Fish, has a 1-8 career record now because he went 1-1 as the UCLA interim head coach back in 2017. Last year, he was the quarterback's coach for the New England Patriots. He's a guy who's bounced back and forth between the college and NFL ranks in his coaching career. 
USC leads the all-time series against Arizona 36-8, which includes the vacated win from the 2005 season. The Trojans have won eight in a row against Arizona. The last Wildcats win in Los Angeles came in 2009, a 21-17 victory for them then. The last game from last season at Arizona was a 34-30 USC win, but the Trojans needed an 8-yard touchdown run by Vavai Malapai with only 25 seconds left in the game to escape Tucson with the victory. The last game at the Coliseum two years ago, 41-14 USC blowout victory. It was also homecoming weekend that year, like it is for this game this year, and the Trojans jumped out to a 34-0 lead in that one as they cruised to the win. So Arizona is clearly at the bottom of the standings for a reason. They're rebuilding, but with the way USC plays, Matt, can we just take for granted that the superior talent of the Trojans will prevail in this matchup? You know, I'm almost at 100%, but like I, there's that 5% sliver, you know, which says that, okay, if USC commits a few personal foul penalties in the first quarter, allows an early touchdown, you know, is it really going to just be able to naturally win by, you know, a 35-7 score? I think most people are predicting, you know, more or less. I'm like, you know, USC was able to drill Washington State. It was able to drill Colorado. So I, I am expecting a blowout win but there's just that little sliver of doubt that makes me think it's less than a 100% stone cold lead pipe cinch lock. The fact that Arizona is, you know, trying to get a win in terms of Los Angeles uh, sports fans in the Los Angeles sports scene, look at the lions Rams game from the weekend. Like, you know, Rams were a 15 point favorite figured to win the game by a billion points, but you know, the lions desire to get that first win Maybe we'll see Arizona, like the Lions, you know, fake a couple punts, try an onside kick. Maybe Arizona is going to be inspired. So I'm kind of like at 95, 96% confident that it's going to be an absolute blowout, but there's still a little sliver of doubt. What I'd really like to see, Nara, from USC in this game, I think a lot of fans would be in the same boat, especially if Jackson Dart does not play and it's Keaton Slovis under center. Just run the ball the whole game. First off, that means the game's shorter. So fans are definitely going to appreciate that. But secondly, like this is the time to set a tone for next season. And I know that you have Graham Harrell still on the job, still running the air raid offense. But, you know, this is not entirely in the interim staff's control. Like, you know, Mike Bone has a role to play here in terms of at least shaping some of the decisions. Like it's not entirely Dante Williams' show either. Mike Bone has a role to play here in terms of saying, all right, well, you know, we have a new coach coming in and you guys are not going to be here next year. I mean, maybe Dante Williams will be, but we know Graham Harrell won't be. We know Todd Orlando won't be on uh, the staff next year. So, you know, there needs to be some guidance from higher up in terms of how this final month is handled. And so I think with, you know, knowing that the air raid is not going to be around at USC next year, this is a time to say, Hey, you can, uh, structure the game plan in certain nuanced ways, but this should be a game in which we run the football a lot more. We just challenge our offensive line. We challenge our running backs to make plays against a weak team. Like this is a time to just flex our muscles and see how physically imposing we can be. I'm not expecting this to happen, but like in an ideal world, that's what I'd like to see happen. Just to see USC try to 
just pulverize Arizona on the ground, get these offensive linemen to, to challenge themselves and each other. That's real value, which could be derived from a game which really doesn't have a whole lot of value at all. Yeah, the problem is that Graham Harrell runs an air raid offense. They don't take snaps from under center. They're going to run out a bunch of wide receiver sets, and they're not going to have tight ends necessarily even tight to the end of the line to block for a running. That's the issue is that the offense that's in place now being run by a guy who's only run that his whole life is not conducive to, like what you said, the future of USC football, which is going to look completely different under whoever comes in as the coach next season. So we'll see what happens. I do agree that they should be able to do what they want against this Arizona team, but we've already seen Oregon State and Utah come into the Coliseum and end long losing streaks in the city of Los Angeles against USC. So we'll see what happens there. Some of the key guys to look for on the Arizona Wildcats squad on offense. Their quarterback is a second-year freshman, Will Plummer. He's only completed 53.8% of his passes this year for 442 yards, two touchdowns against five interceptions. He's the only scholarship quarterback that they have remaining after season-ending injuries to Gunnar Cruz and Jordan McLeod. That's left them to use wide receiver Jamari Joyner some as quarterback, mainly as a Wildcat quarterback. He was originally recruited to U of A by then-coach Rich Rodriguez, but by the time he got to school, he was being coached by Kevin Sumlin, and so there was a position change. He thought he was going to play quarterback, and he got moved to wide receiver instead with Sumlin, and... The best player is probably the fifth-year junior wide receiver, Stanley Berryhill III. He's got 54 catches for 465 yards and a score. He needs 40 catches in the final five games of their season to break the school's single-season record for receptions held by Bobby Wade. And their best running back so far this year is the Northwestern transfer, Drake Anderson, who leads the team with 63 carries for 238 yards, has a touchdown, and has added 14 catches for 76 yards as well. But he missed their last game against Washington with a shoulder injury, so we'll see if he is back for this one against USC. Flipping it over to the other side on defense, their leading tackler with 51 on the season is the fifth-year senior Will linebacker Anthony Pandy. He's also got a forced fumble on the year. Their third-year sophomore rover safety, Jackson Turner, is their second leading tackler with 38, two of those for loss. He's broken up four passes and also has a forced fumble this season. And their leading sackers with two and a half apiece are their defensive tackles, Trayvon Mason and Keon Bars. Obviously, like I've already mentioned, there's a huge talent disparity between these two teams. So... Is it as simple as what you're saying, that USC just pounds Arizona to get the win? I think so. I mean, you know, USC hasn't beaten a good team this year and might not ever beat a good team this year. USC is going to have to beat a good team if it wants to go to a bowl game. But USC has shown that it can thrash bad teams. You know, we saw this against Colorado. You know, Washington State has improved over the past month. But when USC played Wazoo and Pullman, 
the Cougars were not a very good team. Cougars lost, you know, their opener to Utah State. Really struggled out of the box. So USC doesn't beat good teams, but USC does pound bad teams. So I think that's the perspective here that, you know, we're seeing a run of losses from the Trojans. But, you know, this is a soft spot on their schedule. And I think that as badly as, as this team has played in recent weeks, Arizona is a whole different ball game. You know, the Trojans are far better than Arizona. They get the game at home. Arizona is not going to have that Friday night situation when you have Washington making the long trip and Washington has never, well, not never, it, it has very rarely played well in the state of Arizona, Tucson, but also especially Tempe over the past 20, 25 years. So that was a situation that set up favorably for Arizona in terms of at least making the game close. But of course the Wildcats still squandered a 16, seven lead and they squandered it because Plummer got intercepted on a screen pass. And that really just, that really sums up Arizona football in 2021 that completing a screen pass is a real challenge and an adventure for them. So that's a really low bar for USC to clear. So, you know, we shouldn't expect a high level USC performance, but when you measure USC against the competition, the Trojans are going to face this weekend. It should be a relatively uncomplicated win, even for USC. And here's, here's this point in terms of arguing against the idea that this is going to be a close game. USC is really fascinating. This has been a very fun, interesting, exciting national college football season lots of upsets lots of volatility but usc has been really kind of the kryptonite and the exception to all that fun and excitement in not one usc game this year have we had a scenario in which one team either usc or its opponent has the ball in the fourth quarter trailing by one possession with a chance to tie or take the lead that has not happened once the San Jose State game was 13-7 at the start of the fourth, but USC had the ball, leading by six, kicked a field goal. So when San Jose State got its first possession of the fourth quarter in that week one game, it was down by two scores, nine points. So we're still waiting on the first game of a USC season heading into Halloween weekend, and we still haven't had one game in which the fourth quarter has had a one-possession game and the trailing team has had a chance to tie or take the lead. Against Notre Dame, it was, you know, it was an eight-point lead. For Notre Dame, USC scored, but then USC gave up points to Notre Dame on that next drive. So USC did not get the ball down eight with a chance to tie. So that's one of the most remarkable facts about this USC season. It leads me to think that that streak's not going to get broken against Arizona this Saturday. So let's get to our predictions for this week's game between USC and Arizona. First, let me catch you up on how I'm doing against my guests this year in the predictions tracker. Currently, I have... A slight lead on the guess. I have correctly hit on eight, the guess on seven, and two ties. So, recapping from last week, my guess was the voice of USC football on the radio, Pete Arbogast. In the players we believed in, I took Keontae Ingram, who had 24 carries, 138 yards, and a touchdown. And he took either Drake Jackson or Tuli Tui-Pelotu. I said he could have whoever did the best, and Jackson had six tackles, two of them for loss. One of those was a sack. Tui-Pelotu only had two tackles. So I'd say even combined, I would have beaten Pete on that one. So I'll take the win there. For the game score, I had Notre Dame winning 34-17. Pete had it closer, 35-30 for the Fighting Irish. So again, I will get the win there with the actual score being 31-16 for the Irish. And then in the prop bet, Nara's no doubter 
for last week was that there would be a defensive or special teams touchdown scored by either team. Came close. The Bo Bauer near pick six almost got me that, but that didn't happen for me. So Pete called his prop bet Pete's preference, and he said that USC would pass for over 75 more yards than Notre Dame, and he was right. They actually passed for 86 more yards than the Irish, 299 to 213 on the game. So for the week, I went 2-1 and one against the guests. And so now, let's go for this week. I am going to go for the player that I believe in for this week. And I think we got to make a stipulation here, Matt, that you just can't pick Drake London. He's obviously the best USC player every week. So this has got to be kind of the Drake London free zone for the Trojan MVP. It's the Trojan MVP not named Drake London, essentially. And for this week, I'm going to go to the defensive side. I'm going to say Kanai Mauga is the player I believe in for USC. Who do you have as the player you believe in? You know, I'm, I don't want to be easy with this either. Like, I think Keontae Ingram's an easy choice. I think, you know, Drake Jackson, Tuli, Tui Pelotu are easy choices. So I'm going to steer clear of something easy in what should be an easy game for the Trojans. I'm going to say Chris Steele comes up with a pick. I think that the Trojans' secondary is in a position to feast on Will Plummer. So you're going to see some picks, and you're going to see a secondary, which, you know, often commits a lot of costly penalties. This is the game in which USC's secondary is going to look a lot better than it has the previous few weeks. All right, so we're both going on the defensive side of the ball for the players we believe in. And now for the game score and winner... USC is a 21-point favorite as we record this show on a Tuesday afternoon, according to Bet Online, who is, of course, a sponsor of this show. So, like you said, they're expecting a big margin of victory for USC, and I'm going to let you go first here. What is your final score prediction for the game? So it was 37-14 over Colorado. I'm going to say 38-10 over Arizona. I do think USC covers because, you know, it is good about laying the smack down against really bad teams. I mean, that's one thing this team does well. Doesn't do a lot of, of other things well, but that's one thing it does well. I think USC is going to win fairly comfortably, but I don't quite have them covering the spread. I've got it the same score I picked for last week, except for USC winning. So 34-17 is what I've got the Trojans winning by this week. 17-point win. So that's solid, but not quite to the 21-point favorite that they are on bet online and then finally our prop bet for this week nara's no doubter is that there will be a combined 750 plus yards of total offense between the two teams so i think there's going to be plenty of offense in this one and 750 or more yards of total offense is nara's no doubter matt what is your prop bet first give me what you're calling it and then what it is I'll call it the Zemek zigzag. And last to choose from here, I would say that Arizona fails to get 200 yards. And again, I don't want to make this easy. Like I want to make a challenging call in what's probably going to be a not very eventful game. So I'm going to say that Arizona's offense gets completely shut down by USC's defense. And I think that, you know, the fact that USC's defense didn't completely wilt against Notre Dame, but also because, and mostly because, it's going up against a very inept passing game. I think that's what enables USC to do this. Because, you know, Arizona is going to be down two, three touchdowns most of the game. 
So you might think, well, the Wildcats are going to get some, you know, a lot of garbage yards, and that could very well happen. Arizona just doesn't throw the ball well down the field. So I think USC can really put the clamps on Arizona in this one. All right. So to recap our predictions for this week, the players we believe in, I am going to go with Kanai Mauga, Matt Zemek, taking Chris Steele for the game score and winner. We're both taking USC. However, I have it closer at 34-17. Matt's going 38-10. And in our prop bet, Nara's no doubter is that there will be a combined 750-plus yards of total offense in the game, while Matt is saying that Arizona will fail to reach 200 yards of total offense. So it seems like those could be going against each other. But in theory, we both could be right because Arizona could be under 200. And if USC has a huge game, I could still be right on that one as well. So we'll see how our predictions turn out. And of course, this is the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Nara Wang. My guest this week, the editor of Trojans Wire, Matt Zemek. If you like this show, please subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your podcasts. iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and more. Or you can go right to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcast. If you want to reach out to me, I'm on Twitter, at Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Matt, let the people know the ways they can get to you. Yep, my DMs are open on Twitter. Get me at Matt Z, E, M as in Michael, E-K. DMs are open. Jump into my mentions. I'll take whatever feedback you have, especially to talk about this USC coaching search. So that's where you can find me. Hey, everyone. This is Chuck Garfine of NBC Sports Chicago, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. And finally, Matt, let us get to the USC coaching search. Obviously, it's a big-time position in college football, so you get a lot of names being thrown out there from all over the place. You guys have been keeping track of it on Trojans Wire. And if you had to pick one guy that you think is going to get the job as we stand right now, who are you saying it's going to be? Okay, and this is, does not mean it's guaranteed or that like the odds are really, really high. It just means this is the best chance at the moment in what is a very fluid situation. And that is Luke Fickle. It's Luke Fickle because James Franklin at his press conference Tuesday morning he said that he switched uh, agents to Jimmy Sexton over the summer. Now, whether he did that over the summer or not, whatever, he has Jimmy Sexton as his agent. And so if you know anything about Jimmy Sexton as an agent in the college football coaching industry, you know that he predominantly represents heavyweight coaches and coaches from the SEC. And what this move with Franklin hiring Jimmy Sexton means for sure, the one thing it means for sure is that Franklin's going to get a lot more money. Right, that's what we can say for certain. It does not mean Franklin is headed to LSU and this is already a done deal and it's already signed, sealed, and delivered. But it does mean that if LSU and USC both have James Franklin as their top target, and I don't know that for a fact, but if USC and LSU both want Franklin and he's their guy at both schools, LSU's in the lead. That doesn't mean LSU is going to stay in the lead, but right now, LSU is in the lead. And part of this is because LSU has more money than USC in terms of winning a bidding war. You know, if it gets into an arms race, it's not that USC doesn't have resources, but LSU has more. 
And the other part of this is that LSU athletic director, Scott Woodward, when he was at Texas A&M, he was the Texas A&M AD uh, a few years ago. He hired Jimbo Fisher, who is a Jimmy Sexton client. So Woodward has an in with Sexton. They get along well. So it certainly points to LSU more than USC right now, but that doesn't mean USC is out of the running for James Franklin, but it just means that LSU is definitely in the lead. And that pushes Luke Fickle to number one with Matt Campbell behind him in second. And then after that, you know, it's really much more of a, of an interesting debate and it's uncertain. So I would say Fickle one, Campbell two. And then if, if somehow negotiations between LSU and Franklin fall apart, Franklin could still be there, but he's just, he's not number one anymore. That's the landscape at this point, subject to change, of course, but at this point it's Fickle in the driver's seat. So I want to address a couple of things that you mentioned. First, I'll say that I think Luke Fickle, it's basically his job if he wants it. Because of the relationship he had being hired at Cincinnati by Mike Bone, who is, of course, now the Trojans athletic director, and the fact that he's been successful with that Cincinnati program, taking a bunch of three-star recruits and making them into the number two ranked team in the country as of right now. But the question with Luke Fickle is, as a guy who's basically spent his entire life in Ohio, his wife has spent basically her entire life in Ohio, they seem very set in their ways and enjoy being where they are. They have a lot of kids. Their oldest is now a freshman at the University of Cincinnati playing for his father. So it's a matter of if Luke Fickle wants to come out west to an unfamiliar setting. I think his dream job is the Ohio State job. It's not the USC job. So it's not like he'd be leaving to take a dream job, no matter how good anyone thinks the USC job is. But if he wants the USC job, I believe it's his. The James Franklin, Jimmy Sexton thing is interesting only because you're right. Jimmy Sexton has a lot more relationships in the South, but he is also Lane Kiffin's agent. And let's remember that he helped orchestrate Lane Kiffin to USC back in the day. Granted, that was a different athletic department, different president at USC. So times have changed there. But the fact is that Jimmy Sexton can orchestrate things. And I think the one thing you're right that you can guarantee is that James Franklin will be earning a lot more money next season, regardless of where he's coaching. So that's what Jimmy Sexton can do for you. I still think there's a long ways to go here because if Fickle doesn't want the job, I'm not sure that Campbell's a great fit at USC. And frankly, I don't even think Franklin would be that good a coach at USC. I mean, everyone's focusing on this loss against Illinois. He has losses like that every season. Even in his best season when he won the Big Ten, he didn't go to the playoff because of a bad loss. And then in the Rose Bowl, he lost to Clay Helton and USC. So James Franklin, to me, has issues winning a lot of critical big games, and that's not going to fly at USC. So I think he wants to be in LA. I think he's got a personality that fits. I just don't know that his coaching acumen is good enough to actually make USC into what people want the Trojans to be, which is an elite team that is qualifying for the playoffs on a nearly yearly basis. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out, Matt. But 
if you think there's a dark horse candidate roaming out there that might come up later, is there one that you can foresee maybe coming up? For me, I think it might be a guy like Bill O'Brien, the current Alabama offensive coordinator. That's a reasonable thought. He's certainly in a position where you know he has previous head coaching experience, which is something Mike Bone has said he wants. I think the guy who's, you know, again, not in the top tier of candidates right now, you know, Franklin, Fickle, Campbell, that's the top tier. But if there's someone who isn't in the top tier who's making a late charge, I'd say it's Jonathan Smith of Oregon State. You look at the fact that he put 45 on USC. Now he put 42 points on the board against Utah. All right, that seems pretty attractive from a USC perspective. And then consider what Oregon State has coming up. Oregon State has Arizona State on November 20 and Oregon on the 27th. Let's say Oregon State wins both those games and wins the Pac-12 North. And so Jonathan Smith is not, you know, hardly a favorite. And again, not in the top tier, but like he has a way to insert himself more centrally into this conversation. And if, as you alluded to earlier, Luke Fickle and also Matt Campbell want to stay in the Midwest, maybe not at their current jobs, you know, maybe James Franklin goes to LSU, one of Fickle or Campbell might then take the Penn State vacancy, you know, if Penn State opens up. So if Fickle and Campbell stay in the Midwest, and Franklin goes to LSU, and USC has to find that fourth choice, and we all know how great a fourth choice Pete Carroll was 21 years ago. I think Jonathan Smith, I'm not saying he's there right now, but he certainly has the opportunity to coach his way into that fourth spot. If Oregon State wins the Pac-12 North, he would definitely have to get a serious look if the top-tier candidates all rejected Mike Bone. I think that's a good name, Matt. I think of all the people that get brought up within the conference, like you hear Mario Cristobal, you hear Kyle Whittingham, but I would say that Jonathan Smith would be the most likely guy for a possibility for USC if, like you mentioned, the top guys decide not to take the job. So we're going to continue to follow this until USC names their new head coach, but that is going to be the big decision looming as USC tries to change its culture, tries to look forward to the future. And that is what's going to determine the fate of this program. So Matt, thank you for joining me today on the Believe in Everything USC podcast. Any final thoughts for the Trojan faithful out there? Yeah, I would just like to say I'm picking USC by 28 over Arizona, but I hasten to say that, you know, when we make a prediction, sometimes it's a strong prediction. My prediction is a weak one. Like, I would not be surprised at all if this is a dreary 23 to 9 slog, you know, as opposed to, you know, a 38 10 or a 45 7 game. I wouldn't be surprised if it's an ugliest sin game, but I am going to settle on the belief that USC can throw a knockout punch in this game. Yeah, with USC, you just never know, right? So hopefully we'll get some USC offense and a big victory, but you just never know what you're going to get with the Trojans. So for my guests, Matt Zemek of Trojans Wire, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 43 of the Everything USC podcast presented by Bet Online on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in L.A. and so much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as always, I end every show with a fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.